Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today on the show, we compare the lives of two very different men who are a lot more alike than they think. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Kevin. And my name's Abu. So Abu, tell me, who are we talking about today? Kevin, we are jumping into the world of StarCraft, the iconic world of StarCraft. And we're going to talk about two of arguably the most important characters, maybe besides Kerrigan, in the entire universe, Raynor and Mengsk. Oh, yeah. These guys are, um, I would say, the most iconic. I mean, I would say Raynor is probably the most iconic uh, Blizzard character, right, you'd say? Yeah, he's up there. He's up there. I, I, I I would push back on that a little bit and probably say that Kerrigan is more recognizable. Just because Queen of Blades, yes, she's not yeah. a generic white guy with a beard, brown true. hair, very brown true. eyes, very you know. <laughs> very, very true on that one. Uh, I would say she's the most artistic-looking one, aside from like an, an orc. Really, I would say that uh, Kerrigan is terrifying. Uh, I really would not want to piss her off. Although everybody here that we're about to talk to has pissed her off royally. Oh, absolutely. Between Mengsk and Raynor, maybe Raynor less so, but definitely Mengsk, Kerrigan is mad. Well, (laughs) side tidbit on that, the first thing Raynor actually did when he met her was think about how hot she was, and she commented on it, and he said, what? I didn't say anything. And then she's like, "Uh um, and he goes, oh, that's right, you're a telepath. You're a telepath, and you can read my mind, and you just (laughs) read (laughs) Right, exactly. You saw all of the dirty things that I just imagined in my mind. (laughs) All right, so I guess we should just kind of talk a little bit about their backstories. Uh, who are these guys? I mean, I know you've been you've been reading a lot of the books, right? Yes, yeah. So I I have a long relationship with StarCraft. I played the first StarCraft maybe over ten years ago when I was a teenager, and I was very much in line, ready to pick up StarCraft Two at my local GameStop. Did picked it up played it, like took the day off school and played a shit ton of StarCraft 2. And so I've had a long history with the franchise and I read a lot of the books when I was younger. So as we were preparing for this episode and as we were preparing to jump into the world of StarCraft for this season of Lore Party, I took the opportunity to reread some of the books and I started with I, Mengsk. So let me give you a quick overview of Mengsk's origin story and his upbringing as a youngling. So Arturus Manx is the son of a very powerful and very wealthy senator of Korhal, Angus Manx. He is a rebellious child. He's extremely intelligent. He's extremely cocky. He's a fuckboy. I mean, he's a rich fuckboy. <laughs> and he goes to this, pre- he is. And he goes to this prestigious private school, but he hates going to it because he's so smart 
and all the teachers bore him, so he just skips class. Yada yada yada. He he's very so he's much the, he's the Logan like, Paul. He's he's the Logan Paul of uh, Starcraft. No no no. Logan <laughs> Paul is not smart by any means. So like here's You're not, the thing. Yeah, but he thinks he's thing. smart. I like that summary that I gave of like his personality as a teenager and as a young kid. I haven't made it clear that he's also like an extremely charming and charismatic kid too, right? Oh yeah, like he knows that he can convince anyone. That he already, even as a young child, understands the power of words, understands that he has the power to wield them, and that he can convince anyone and use his charm and use his good looks. I mean, he's like a athletic. He's well built. He's good looking. He's got money and wealth, and you know, like women are easy for him. And it, it's that's the type of world that he grows up around. He grows up around this overbearing father and this senator. He grows up around politics. That's his entire world. Um, and what's interesting is that he, he's very rebellious and he rejects it. And the way he rejects it is to really throw his father's belief right back in his face. His father is very anti-Confederate. So Arturus isn't the first one to be anti-Confederacy and fight against them. It started with his father, Angus, and, you know, somewhat even before that with their grandfather who laid the groundwork. And Arturus decides, hey, dad, fuck you. I'm going to join the Confederate military. And he signs up right after he graduates from his very prestigious school. He gets recruited and signs up for the Marines. So that's sort of the early childhood and the origin story of Arcturus makes. That's the kind of boy that will eventually become the man that overthrows the Confederacy and becomes emperor. So he's he's got a bone to pick, not just with his family, but just with everybody almost. Everybody, definitely, yeah. That That's one characteristic that I think sticks with him his entire life. He's got a bone to pick, and he knows that he's going to win. You know, he's confident. Yeah. He knows he's going to, he's able to, achieve whatever he sets his mind to so every bone that he has to pick with someone he goes after it because he knows he's going to kick ass and do whatever it takes to get it done that's our arcturus makes and that's what he's always been he's a guy who's been spoon-fed everything his entire life and he kind of just he doesn't he doesn't appreciate any of it and he's just kind of like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna use all this to my advantage and do whatever the fuck i want yeah hmm. uh, yeah i rich think rich boy I, tendencies I, he, I guess i think he sort of has like a broad appreciation of his place in life. I think he understands his privilege. He realizes he's rich. He realizes his dad is a powerful senator. So he realizes his privilege, I think. He doesn't flaunt it in any way. He just sort of rejects it in the sense that he thinks it's just something he inherited and it, he doesn't want that to be his birthright. He wants to create his own way in the world. He wants to build himself up to be his own man apart from what his father wants from him, apart from what his legacy pushes on him. You know, his father wants him to continue this fight against the Confederacy, which, in the most ironic fashion, fate forces him to do. But at first, he just rejects all that. He's like, no, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to create my own life. So in that sense, I, like, sort of respect him for that. I, it's almost, I think, when I think about both these guys, because I'm going to talk about Jim now, but, like, it's like they have these crazy D&D backstories. Like it's, it literally is something out of D&D because Jim Raynor is basically the complete opposite upbringing. Like he is from like 
I would say lower middle class to super poor farmers. Like he he grew up a farm boy in like kind of a I want I don't want to say desolate planet, more like an off off the uh, grid planet. He's he's in like you know the Midwest of the <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> galaxy there. Throwing um, shade in the Midwest, love it. I live in the Midwest. It's <laughs> fine. Um, but yeah, so basically. Um, he grows up on a farm uh, as a farm boy, and he joins the military at age of 18, like right out of school. Um, and his parents did not, I mean, I will say this, his parents also did not want him to join the Confederacy military. They were like, hey, like, why don't you just be a farmer with us? And he was like, no, I think, uh, I, think I should be, I think I can do this. And th- they did give him his blessing and all that. Um, he had a pretty decent career, though. But um, after a while, the military kind of, I guess, I don't want to say got to him, but the thing about him, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, is he really values his troops and the people around him. Yeah. He, um, he wants to protect them. Um, he's the type of guy who it's like, you know, he wouldn't send people to go sacrifice their lives unless he's doing it with them. Do you know what I mean? So when he was in the military, he um he ended up witnessing a superior officer do this and just like send a bunch of people to go to their deaths just because um like i think it was like a timing thing or something like that and but the guy just didn't care he's like oh they're disposable like you know who cares they're just troops and it pissed him off so much that he like he decked his officer <laughs> like he decked right. his superior officer and then they like kicked him out of the military and so after that he like was in jail he was stripped of his rank and like this guy's gone through hell. Yeah. Um, and, and I and think so that theme is going to come up over and over again throughout this episode. This like strong moral compass that Rainer has, right? But it like it pushes him down all the time. It like every time he does something, it just it, like something good. It just kind of shoots him in the foot. Right. In the world of the Confederacy, I mean, no good deed goes unpunished. Like seriously, that's like he wants Rainer. to go be a bounty hunter and it's like, nope, guess what? You're going to lose all your friends and, yeah. you know, OK, let's let's do this. So then eventually... Well, eventually, like when the game starts, you know, he's a marshal and now he's like a lawman kind of thing. And, um, you know, it's not bad. I was going to say when we as we're comparing these two men, what I find really interesting is that a both of them joined the military at a very early age, right? Like they didn't go and they didn't go seek any higher education or go into some sort of apprenticeship right out of high school, age 18, the minute they were eligible. They signed up for the military and they both signed up for pretty similar, similar ish reasons, right? Like Mengsk signed up mostly because it was a rebellious thing to do. And it, he knew it would piss off his father if he joined the military of the very uh, government that his father was against. That was his primary reason. But I think another large reason for Mengsk was he, he was looking for some sort of direction in his life or some sort of control in his life that was outside the control of his father and his family and his legacy. He wanted, yeah. he wanted to find some sort of direction and he thought the military could do that for him. I think that's another, that's very much the reason that Rainer also signed up because he's just like a nobody farm boy and he doesn't really know what he's going to do with his life outside of just continue to farm this plot of land that his parents did. And I think, I think the military offers him like some sort of control, some sort of adventure in his life. I almost feel like the military, like they kind, they both use the military as a means to like make something of themselves because these yes. guys both have, they have like 
they both see the military as a way of like controlling their life, yes, but also to make something of themselves. Like they're the ones in charge per se of they made a decision, like kind of not something that they've been allowed to do their whole life. Like they've always had like, this is what you're going to do. This is, this is, you know, here's your money. Here's this, this is, you're going to go to school. You're going to do this. And then it becomes like, you know what? I want to make a decision for myself and it changes their entire lives. And I would say, I actually understand that a little bit. I, in fact, was talking to a Marine recruiter at the age of 18 myself, you know, right out of high school. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah. Do tell. Yeah, and I mean, I I get it. I get. I think I understand both Rainer and Manx, and I relate to both of them. I, I think, like, I also grew up with a very overbearing father, and I knew this was something that would just annoy the hell out of him. So I can understand that side of Manx a little bit. I understand. I also understand that it's that's like a shitty thing to do. <laughs> but I also, I think, from Rainer's perspective, like having that sense of control and the idea of like an adventure outside of like continuing to do what my parents did or doing what my parents want me to do. Like Manx's dad wants him to continue being this, like continue this Manx legacy. Uh, I get that. I think the military offers, especially young people who are right out of high school and have to like figure out like, Oh shit, I'm a grown up. What do I do next? That's a very vulnerable time. And I think it was especially oh, yeah. vulnerable for both Rainer and Manx, and I, I, I can relate to them, that it, the military offers this sense of adventure, it offers a sense of control of your own destiny, of your own life, and it offers you, like, speaking as a guy, like, it offers you this, like, very masculine sense of, like, I can be a man, you know? And I think yeah, both of them yeah. sort of felt that, too. Uh, so, so there's a lot of parts of the military that are attractive th- at that age, and I think both Rainer and Manx sort of fell for that, that idealized selling point of the military, uh, and then quickly realized the reality once they signed up. And back to like what I also said too, I, I, I want to just reiterate that this is, this is where they really grew up. Like they, they sure were raised the way they were, but then like the military kind of forced them to grow up and become who they were when we first meet them kind of thing, it, it really kind of guided their entire rest of their existence. It really cha- changed and shaped the way they um, made decisions throughout, like not just the games, but just their lives. Like it, it really, it was the driving factor. Like that one decision, the, the same decision, they both made the same decision led to two separate like, outcomes like it led to a convergence and then two separate paths absolutely they they both went through the same sort of confederate marine they were like cogs in this machine of this giant confederacy uh and they came out the other sides with some philosophies that overlapped but definitely different approaches to life um so let's talk about the points because i think after they leave the military is where the rest of like the real like manx and rainer that we meet in the games are formed. Yeah. So let's talk about the points in their lives that turn them into rebels, that turn them against the Confederacy, and that push them to really cross that line into, I need to fight this thing. I need to take down the Confederacy. All right. So I say let's talk about Manx first, then we'll talk about Jimmy. Yeah. And I mean, Manx is easy, right? His dad already hated the Confederacy. By the time he left the military, 
his dad had already declared uh, that he was essentially going to war with the Confederacy. And what really pushed Arcturus over the edge, what really pushed him to hate the Confederacy and take up arms against them, was the death of his family. He finds out the news that his family's been assassinated, that his father has been beheaded, and that sets yeah, him off. some Game of Thrones shit. Some Game I mean, of Thrones shit, I'll, indeed, yeah. Well, and, well I do, right I around feel that like same a lot time, of this. Right around that same time is when he finds out that he has a son. Like, those two things happen very close to each other. He finds out that uh, this woman that he had been seeing on and off since his days at the Academy, and during he, he, that he um, had slept with during his time in the Marines had actually given birth to a son that he had known nothing about until he left the Marines years later. Yeah. And uh, so he had just met a son. He's building a relationship. He's trying to process the, the reality of having a son. And then he finds out his family's been killed. So all of these things sort of pile on. And Arcturus does what he does best. He finds a bone to pick. He gets angry as fuck. And then he goes after it with all his strength. I mean, it's it's literally the turning point for him in terms of it's when he kind of snaps almost. Absolutely, and I think I think Jim also snaps because of family reasons, and those are two similarities between those two. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, I call him Jimmy because I mean he's a bro, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing is, Jim Rayner, he ends up you know after he gets jailed and stripped of his uh rank he, he just is like all right i'm 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 good at fighting i'm gonna become a bounty hunter and he does that for a while and then his father on his deathbed was like upset about like what's happened to him he was like you know you did have i was against you going in the military but you did a really good job and i was proud of you and now you're like you're like because bounty hunters aren't really like you know it's not a great profession by any means and it's kind of like i think his dad called it dirty money and kind of it kind of changed his whole perspective on everything and like he a lot of his friends were like getting attacked and like killed some of them and you know some people died and he saw that as like wow this is kind of not really the greatest of lives and he has a friend um who I guess is like a senator of a planet, basically. Um, and they kind of convince him. They're like, hey, we need a marshal for crime. We need somebody to kind of be in charge and fight when needed. But it's really about protecting the people. And that's, I mean, that's all what he's about. So he said yes. And so when we meet him in the game, he's, he's doing his job as a marshal. Yeah, and it's interesting. The, the part about Jim reading that message that his father left for him on his deathbed, that's really powerful, in my opinion. I think it really shows that during Jim's time in the Marines, he sees sort of the darkness of the Confederacy. He sees the corruption. He sees that the, this idea, this ideal vision of what he thought the military was, wasn't true at all, or what he thought the Confederacy was, wasn't true at all. And so he rebels and he leaves and then he gets into a life of crime which really is like not a jim rayner thing to do right like he's got no, a strong really moral not. compass it's feels out of character yeah yeah extremely out of character and i love that it's his father it's his family when he goes back to visit them and his mom shows him the recording it's this message from his father that puts him back on the right track that corrects his moral compass and points it back in the right direction 
Yeah. And and the whole bounty hunter thing, I feel like, is more of that's his rebellious phase. Like that's when he a teenager goes into their rebellious phase. Um, the thing about Rainer is that he doesn't see people as tools. He sees people as people. And so his father saying, like, you know, I love you, you're my son, and I'm always gonna love you. Um and I think the thing I think uh I had the quote. You wrote the quote, right? It says, uh, the one thing that stands up to me is a man is what he chooses to be. Yes. It's not how he's he's born or how he's raised that makes the man. It's his choices. And so that I think, I mean, later on, and in the whole quote, he says like, you know, what you're doing right now is kind of not the best choice. And I just think that part of the quote is so like, your choices are important. Please make good choices. Like just focus on what you're doing. I think that's so formative for him, right? Like his his father saying, you can choose whatever path you want to live your life on. And right now, the path that you're on, I'm not proud of, but that's your choice. You also have the choice to correct that path and and sort of get away from this life of crime that you've chosen. And I think that messaging is so different than what Manx gets from his dad. Manx's dad is all about like, you're a Manx, you're powerful, you're destined for this, you're, you're wealthy, you're going to change the world, your, your greatness is waiting for you, waiting for you in your future. It, it's all about legacy, it's all about power, and like that's the messaging that he gets from his dad over and over and over. And Manx feels like he has no choice but to live up to that legacy. On the other hand, Rainer is all about choice. And that's what also, though, like these guys both have... Their lives are like crazy similar in terms of like situational in a way. So like they both have they both join the military and then they both have these moments in their lives where I don't want to say like Rainer snaps, but it's like it there's something that clicks in both of them. Yeah. So like, you know, the death of of Manx's family completely he makes a choice and he completely just changes on a dime. And, and does something like, you know, becomes a rebel. And then this happens to Jim and he's like, I need to make a change and becomes a lawman. So I feel like both these guys have, they have like similar, not necessarily the same path in life, but similar like points in their lives where like they have to make a choice and it's, it's, it's important. Right, right. And, and Jim choos- chooses to settle down and actually get married and actually have a son. Yeah. Uh, of course, that doesn't go as planned because his son has turns out to have psionic abilities and the Confederacy takes him away. His son dies in this Confederacy like training lab, which leaves his wife heartbroken and she soon dies thereafter. Uh, and Jim is left alone again. And I think that's a super vulnerable time where we meet him and more importantly, where Arcturus Manx, who's currently in the midst of leading a rebellion against the Confederacy, also meets him. And that's where the two cross paths. And that's, that's also a huge turning point. Losing his family, losing his wife and his son, is what leaves Rainer in a vulnerable enough position to actually join up with Manx, to join up with the sons of Korhal and decide that the Confederacy was a plight on the universe and it had to be taken down. They end up joining forces. Basically, what happens is Jim gets put into 
jail by the Confederacy for telling him to go shove it up their ass when they <laughs> need him to like basically sacrifice a planet. And he says no. And so the Sons of Korhal, which is Manx's uh, rebel group, mercenary rebel group, end up busting him out of jail. And they end up joining forces and decide they're going to take down the uh, Confederacy. Mm-hmm. But... There's one little instance on this whole thing where somebody has to make a choice yep. and it all goes to shit. Or does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes to shit for one of them. For one and of them, then the right. other one. Yeah, just for one. Um, I'll let you, I mean, if uh, Manx is your guy, so I'll let you explain his situation. Right. So, you know, at this point, I would say both of their lives have converged. You know, they've had these separate but similar paths that led them to two different places in their lives. And then now they've found themselves in the same place. They're against the Confederacy, and Arcturus obviously sees him as a very useful tool. Again, that theme Mm -hmm. of, like, people are tools to him. He's got Kerrigan as his second-in-command. He actually busted her out of a facility that he infiltrated, and instead of killing her, he chooses to use her and actually names her his second-in-command because she's such a powerful psionic. So the three of them are now effectively some of the most powerful anti-Confederate forces in the universe. And that ultimately culminates in this final epic battle on Tarsonis, which is the capital of the Confederacy. This is, this is the seat of power of the Confederacy. And Menx's plan, his like barbaric, crazy plan, because at this point, the Protoss and Zurich have been introduced and they've thrown a wrinkle into this confederacy versus the rebellion story now we got to worry about fucking aliens things are going crazy but manx always always the logical strategic person who will figure out a way decides to use the aliens as a tool to win so on tarsonis he lures the zerg to tarsonis to wipe it out he uses the zerg as a tool to win and destroy the capital of the confederacy ultimately bringing it down of course, there's a pivotal moment there between Rainer, Kerrigan, and Mengsk, which sets the scene for another rebellion, this time led by Jim. Do you want to explain that scene for us? It's very dramatic. <sighs> so Kerrigan is still on the planet, and Mengsk doesn't give a shit. And he's like, cool, we're going to leave now and let the Protoss basically destroy the planet um, and let the Zerg kind of, basically the Zerg will destroy the planet and then the Protoss come in and like glass the whole thing. Um, and Jim is by this time madly in love with Kerrigan and he's like, we have to get her out of there. Like she's still down there and Manx is like, I don't give a shit. Um, and they end up like getting in a fight and everything and Manx could care less because the tool is now been used and I don't need it anymore. Right. He, he, he used her for what he needed and then ultimately yep. he's going to get his revenge because a little tidbit that we haven't mentioned yet, Kerrigan is the one who beheaded his father. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yes. it's uh, pretty That's crazy. Yeah, it's- imagine, imagine being like, you are the person who beheaded my father. I hate you. Like, you are the reason I'm fighting this rebellion. But he has so much self-control that instead of killing her right then and there when he first meets her, he decides to use her 
until the moment is right for him to get his revenge. And that moment is on Tersonis, when she's on the ground being swarmed by Zerg, and instead of going down to save her, he finally gets his ultimate revenge and lets Kerrigan supposedly die on Tersonis. Yeah. And crazy. So Thanks, you crazy it, bastard. The dude, the dude is the dude is manipulative as shit. The guy is nuts. Um, he is like a space dictator. He's psychotic. Um he, he Manx takes over, essentially. Um the the crazy cutscene is of uh Kerrigan um getting just closing her eyes and just standing there and getting swarmed by Zerg, and you think she's dead. And you know, spoiler alert, she's not. She ends up becoming like the Queen of Blades. She becomes like a Zerg Terran hybrid. Um and is like insanely powerful and jokes on you Manx. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's just, he, he creates this new Terran like government. It's called the Terran dominion. And I mean, very, I mean, that's a very, right. Nothing shady about that name. Like that doesn't bring up any, like that's a very like, you know, (laughs) omnipotent, uh, big brother (laughs) kind of, uh, (laughs) name. And, uh, he declares himself emperor too, right? Like he takes down the Confederacy. He wiped out Tarsonas and now he declares himself emperor. And like, that's when we start to see, I mean, we've seen hints of who Manx truly is up until this point, plenty of hints, but now we see like the true face of Arcturus Manx the dictator, the authoritarian leader, the man who's going to lead with an iron fist. The main dis- distinction between Jim and Manx for like the whole um, Tarsonis kind of situation is it's almost the same thing that Jim went through in the military. Like, I'm going to sacrifice all these people for, you know, quote, the greater good and like, they're just disposable and that kind of thing. And that's when Jim kind of really, really sees in his face, like, holy shit, I'm in the same situation again, and I still can't do anything about it. And I think that kind of shows that, like, even Jim was like, well, all those people are going to die from the Zerg. Like, I don't want that. Like, I didn't want all these other people to die. It's like, it's just about taking down the government, man. Right. Like, like, you know, not what I signed up for. Wiping out a planet. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. So I think that still shows like the the biggest distinction between them because even in StarCraft 2, like I'm going to throw out another Game of Thrones reference here. Like Jim Rayner is the Jon Snow of the StarCraft world. Yeah, the, the Luke just, Skywalker, the Jon Snow. Like yeah, the, yeah, like yeah. the whole, I, I the whole like, you know, duty over love and that kind of thing like the moral compass like i should be doing the right thing no matter what and that kind of stuff right i mean i I think i don't think jim even wants to rebel against the dominion he just is constantly compelled to do it he's forced to do it some outside force whether it's kerrigan or the impending doom of the zelnaga wiping up the entire galaxy like something forces him to fight against the Dominion, to fight against really anyone that stands in his way from saving the galaxy or doing the right thing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey there, Lore Party listeners. Michael here. I just want to take a few moments and encourage you to listen to my show here on Lore Party. It's called Minigame. Every episode, I take about five to 10 minutes 
and explore a unique perspective on games as small as her story or as big as Wolfenstein or Star Wars. While the other guys like to talk about lore and history and game universes, I like to focus on things like plot and character and theme. Now if you disagree with my opinion or my perspective, I would love to hear your voice. Join in the discussion at our subreddit at r slash loreparty. Thank you very much for listening, and now back to the show. So to wrap up our discussion, I think we've had a great discussion. I wanted to throw this hypothetical question at you because it's something that I've been thinking about. Do you think either Mansk or Rayner could have gone down each other's paths, the opposite paths that they ended up going down? Do you think Mansk could have successfully overthrown the Confederacy and then given someone else power or installed some sort of democratic government? And do you think Rayner could have continued this life of crime? Honestly, I think no. I don't think they would be able, like, the biggest factor is their upbringing. Like, the way their parents, and mainly their fathers, because they were both very close with their dads, the, the way those men shaped these men is probably the biggest factor for everything, because on one hand, you have Manx who... I mean, he's been told his whole life that he's going to be meant for greatness. He's the special boy. He's very, you know, he's my little angel. He's very charismatic. He's basic. He's essentially a prince. I mean, that's in his view, in his mind, he has been told so much of the first like 18 years of his life that he is going to change the world. And I think that is the definitive factor for both of them, the fact that their fathers, like Jim was very into like protecting his father and family and that sort of, you know, closeness with family and friends and the protecting them. And, you know, when you live on a farm, you know, it's, it's everybody puts in work and everybody's working together. It's about being together and helping each other and getting to an end goal together. And, you're not, you're working for it. You're not given it, you know, you're not given everything like Manx. And so I feel like their upbringing are both of them. It's the definitive factor. I agree. I agree with your assessment 100%. I think we've proven that here in this discussion. I think they can't escape from their upbringings, from their childhoods, from what made them who they are. And while they both had loving, caring mothers, It was, like you said, their fathers that truly defined the men they would grow up to be. And what I find really, really interesting, and I sort of want to end on this note, is that both of them follow a very similar trajectory when taken in context with their fathers. So Manx's dad is an anti-Confederate rebel. Manx bounces away from his father by joining the military, the Confederate military, the very thing his father hates. And then fate and circumstance ultimately and ironically bring Arcturus Manx back to exactly where his father wanted him in the first place. 
to mm-hmm. fight the Confederacy, to become this man who yep. would take down the Confederacy. That's exactly what his dad wanted. And now take Jim. Jim, farm boy, leaves to go join the Confederacy with his parents' well wishes. And then through his time in the Marines and a series of events, and by meeting Tychus Finley and experiencing corruption, he decides, I'm going to become an outlaw. I'm going to, I'm going to start working on the wrong side of the law, and I'm going to do things that essentially earn me money that is blood money. It's dirty money. It's money that my fa- even my own father, my poor father who I'm sending money, will not accept. He refuses to accept that money. And then ultimately, because of his father, he's set on the right path. Because of that message that his father leaves him on his deathbed, Jim Rayner becomes, through fate and through a series of events, the very thing his father wanted, a good man, to choose to be a good man. So I think that's interesting that both Rayner and Mansk, two men who were extremely influenced by their fathers, both chose to bounce very far away from their fathers on the spectrum, become nearly opposite from their fathers, and then fate brought them right back. They became the very things their fathers wanted, and they became the very image of their own fathers. Well, now, you keep mentioning the term fate, and I know the game touches upon it a lot, but do you really think, like, the decision... Because the, the whole point of these guys is saying how, like, they had to make a choice. They had decisions. They had to make a decision. But then you start talking about fate. So then how much do your decisions, how much do you think like your decisions really impact, I guess, not necessarily the outcome you want, but also just the outcome in general? Because if you're talking about fate, well then, inevitably were these guys meant to be like this no matter what? I don't think I'm using fate there as like a literal, like, this was destined to be, like it was written down in a prophecy, which is also something I hated about StarCraft II, the prophecy. That's neither here nor there. But I, I don't think I mean fate in that sense. I, I think I mean fate in the sense that there are things that, you know, even in reality, we as people have zero control over. Arturus Manx did not have control over his dad declaring war on the Confederacy. He didn't have control over his family being murdered by that very confederacy. He only had control on how he would choose to react to it. Now, how he chose to react to it was highly dependent on how he was raised, right? Like that that shaped who he was, his beliefs, his mentality, and his temperament. And he chose to react to it in a very sort of predictable way, if you know how he was raised. Same thing with Jim. I mean, he, he had no control over what happened to him in the military of the corruption that he saw and that he fought against. He had very little control. I mean, he had zero control over whether his family would accept the money, the blood money that he was sending them. But he did have a control and he did have choice over how he would respond to those things. In the military, he responded by rebelling, by punching an officer, by caring about the people that were under him. And he chose after his father sent him after his father left him that message, he chose to live a life that his father would have been proud of had he still been alive. So I think what I mean by fate, I think here is the things that were outside of their control and how they chose to respond to them. I don't think either of them were destined to go down these paths, but in some sense, because of their upbringings and the things we've discussed on this episode, 
they were probably most likely inevitably going to make these choices. So moral of the story is, kids, make sure you're a good dad. <laughs> a good parent. I mean, the, the mothers, we... Yeah, make sure you're just a good parent. Yeah, I mean, I, I had this in the notes and uh, we didn't have time to get into it today, but like Arturis Menx's mother was an extremely strong, powerful woman that shaped so much of the good parts of Mengsk. Like, I wish that... I wish he had had more time with his mom because I think Mengsk could have turned out as a good person because his mom was such a good person. He just, like, didn't spend enough time around her, I think. Um, So, a good parent. I think the moral of the story is just be a good parent. It's going to be extremely formative. And, like, your kid may overthrow the government and become an emperor someday. So, like, fucking stop that from happening. (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.